Okay, right now I'm in the chaotic period of trying to finish up my oral board case lists and I'm trying to like frantically remember what in the heck I was doing way back when I was a chief resident. And thank God there is the OBG project to help remind me of some of these things. Yeah, the OBG project has been great for studying for oral boards because I'm in the exact same place as you are. What's even better is that I have their subscription service, OBG First, which allows me to create my own bookshelf so that I can go back to all the articles that I've been reading about GYN that I've forgotten. If you're a chief resident, you can get that OBG First absolutely free. Head on over to our website, creagsrivertocoffee.com. Check out the sidebar and you can sign up. And if you're a resident, you actually can get access to the core, which is a resident curriculum. I actually have a new feature on here called the Resident Core Life Hacks Library, which I'm going to have to go check out. You can also check out the sidebar on our website to get signed up. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creags over coffee. All right, Faye. So today we're going to talk about an exciting, but also I think commonly overlooked topic in delayed umbilical cord clamping. So what are our learning objectives? So today we're going to discuss the rationale for delayed umbilical cord clamping. We'll review the evidence for clinical benefit of delayed cord clamping. And finally, we'll familiarize ourselves with the correct and incorrect techniques for delayed cord clamping. The reading for today is going to come from Committee Opinion 814, and we'll have that linked on our website as well for all of you. Okay, Nick, let's kind of go back to the beginning. What's the deal with delayed umbilical cord clamping? I feel like when we started residency, like when we were interns, you just clamped and cut, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I remember too, Faye, is just like all you did was you no know, baby came out and then, you know, okay, yep, you like hand it up to mom, but otherwise you like, you did the clamping and cutting pretty quickly. I don't think anybody really paid attention to that. Yeah. But there's been some, I don't want to say some new data. There is new data, but there's been a reinvigoration of some old data too to demonstrate what the goodness of delayed cord clamping actually is. So there are some small studies that are go as far back as the 1950s that demonstrate 80 to 100 cc's of blood transferring from the placenta to the newborn baby within three minutes after birth. And 90% of that blood volume is achieved within just the first few breaths of healthy term infants. And, you know, 80 to 100 cc's, you know, you just did a c-section to get this baby out and you spilled 600, 800 cc's of blood, right? So maybe it doesn't, 100 cc's or something doesn't sound like a lot. But to that baby, that's actually a huge amount. Now, if you think about this and do the math, a 3 kilogram infant or 6 pounds, 10 ounces has a typical total blood volume of around 250 cc's. So 100 cc's is like a third of that baby's blood volume, more than a third of that baby's blood volume. So the difference is really huge. Kind of coming from there, the more modern studies of delayed cord clamping really focus on that initial first few breaths achieving that 90% of the volume. So delayed cord clamping often will get defined in studies as 30 to 60 seconds of delay after birth prior to clamping the gourd. This has shown benefit in these newer studies for both term and preterm infants. 
Fay for term babies, there's actually demonstration of improved hemoglobin levels and improved iron stores that even will make differences into the first few months of life. And that ultimately will lead to potentially favorable neurodevelopmental outcomes. And we'll talk a little bit more about the evidence behind that later. Um, I'm really kind of interested, though, in preterm babies because I feel like oftentimes we're so scared of these little ones coming out that like we're ready to clamp cut handoff to pediatrics. But actually, the delayed cord clamping does them a world of good in terms of reducing rates of intraventricular hemorrhage, necrotizing enterocolitis, and risk of transfusion. So for that reason, most organizations across the world will recommend 30 to 60 seconds of delayed cord clamping for pretty much all term and preterm infants. So the range can be up to five minutes recommended, and that recommendation specifically coming from the American College of Nurse Midwives, who crafted this committee opinion with ACOG. ACOG dials that back and goes with the randomized trial data to basically say they recommend at least 30 to 60 seconds of delay for vigorous term and preterm infants. Now, Faye, I think that you know, if you were someone coming at this from the outside, maybe you'd be worried or maybe there's some concerns about delayed cord clamping. There's always thoughts like maybe delayed cord clamping delays resuscitations for babies who need it, right? You have a baby that comes out that's potentially sick or maybe does not look, you know, um, as vigorous, but actually sick and preterm babies may actually benefit most from placental transfusion as the placenta continues gas exchange after delivery while still attached. And then there's always the question of, well, maybe that delayed cord clamping causes like polycythemia because there's like too much transfusion and that could maybe lead to jaundice. Um, and really, there's no solid evidence of this in preterm infants, um, but perhaps there is some evidence in term infants, though that evidence is just slight. In terms of talking about the evidence for some of this, right, we mentioned that 80 to 100 cc of blood flow in the first few newborn breaths. Um, there are studies of Doppler sonography during delayed cord clamping that have demonstrated marked increase of placental transfusion during those breaths. And the extra iron load provided by that delayed cord clamping has been shown to prevent or reduce iron deficiency through the first year of life. So even that 30 to 60 seconds of what you're doing could benefit that baby for a whole year. Iron deficiency has been linked to cognitive, motor, and behavioral developmental delays that may be irreversible. And so iron deficiency is definitely prevalent in low-income countries, but also common in higher-income countries too, about 5 to 25%. So now we're talking not just about that first year of life, but potentially for the rest of the life of that baby. Additionally, that blood and plasma volume will transfuse over immunoglobulins, stem cells, which may be of particular benefit to preterm babies. So we've kind of, you know, talked about this in general. So Nick, break this down a little bit for me in terms of the data that we have for preterm infants versus like term infants. Yeah, so ACOG cites two primarily systematic reviews because there are a lot of trials actually that have looked at this and tried to quantify. Um, and you can imagine even just from the benefits that we've talked about so far, Faye, that your primary endpoint for many of these trials could be a whole heck of a lot of different things from hemoglobin values to iron stores to neurodevelopmental outcomes year, three years, five years down the line. But to boil down sort of the primary things in preterm infants, a systematic review of 15 trials, 738 infants demonstrates delayed cord clamping has benefits over immediate cord clamping by way of fewer transfusions for anemia, with a relative risk of about 0.6, a lower risk of intraventricular hemorrhage, 
lumping that together as all grades and by a sonographic diagnosis, again with that relative risk being about 0.6, and lower risk of necrotizing enterocolitis, with the relative risk again being about 0.6. So really big, almost half risk reduction to delayed cord clamping for preterm babies. In term infants, we actually have the same number, 15 trials, but now almost 4,000 women and their singleton infants. Delayed cord clamping in these trials demonstrated higher immediate hemoglobin levels, about 2 grams per deciliter difference, which persisted 24 to 48 hours out at about 1.5 gram per deciliter difference between delayed and immediate cord clamping. At age 3 to 6 months, immediate clamping has an increased relative risk of 2.65 for iron deficiency. And as you mentioned, Faye, already with those neurodevelopmental outcomes, that's a really, really big, important difference. There were no difference in the rates of polycythemia or jaundice amongst term infants, but there was a slight difference in the amount of jaundice requiring phototherapy, slightly higher risk for those undergoing delayed cord clamping. And those percentages are like 2.7% for immediate clamping versus 4.3% for delayed cord clamping, a relative risk of 0.6. We're getting to a theme here. And finally, neurodevelopmental outcomes for term babies are limited, but there's no difference versus a potential slight benefit to delayed cord clamping over immediate cord clamping. So I think the overall picture to take away is that this seems to be beneficial to babies, certainly in the immediate term, um, and there's more definite benefit and long-term benefit coming for preterm infants. So we really should strive to do delayed cord clamping for those preemies. One thing, though, that folks out there might be asking, or that, you know, Faye and I are MFM fellows, right? Maternal fetal medicine. So what about mom and all of this? Because that's a whole other set of outcomes that we could be looking at. Is there an increased risk of hemorrhage, increased risk of blood loss at cesarean, increased risk of transfusion? Um, And the bottom line is no. Five trials over 2,200 women didn't demonstrate any increased risk of hemorrhage, estimated blood loss, difference in hemoglobin level, or risk of transfusion, even for those undergoing cesarean delivery. A word of caution, though, ACOG does mention that kind of for situations of highly increased risk of hemorrhage, like previa or abruption, you should think about the risks and benefits of delayed cord clamping based on maternal stability. Faye, I think, you know, at this point, it seems like this is really simple, and we've presented a lot of good evidence to say you should do delayed cord clamping. Um... And it's very easy, right? 30, 60 seconds, then cut and clamp the cord. It's really simple, actually. Um, Is there a way that I can screw it up? Most likely no, but uh, theoretically, yes, Nick. (laughs) So uh, just some tips to go over. So first of all, that 30 and 60 seconds of delayed cord clamping doesn't mean 30 to 60 seconds of not doing anything. So newborn care should still proceed as usual. That means that you should be drying and stimulating the baby for that first breath or cry. You need to maintain normal thermia with that skin-to-skin contact. And positioning on the chest or abdomen versus holding the infant at the level of the troitus doesn't seem to have an effect on the amount of blood transfused. So that should be fine. You can definitely still keep the baby on mom's chest. You can clear secretions only if it's copious or obstructing the airway. And even with meconium, Delayed cord clamping can continue as long as that infant is vigorous. So just remember that it's not 30 to 60 seconds of not doing anything for the baby. 
Similarly, it's not 30 to 60 seconds of not doing anything to actively manage labor. So we should continue to manage that third stage and use uterotonics, you know, mainly Pitocin at this point, to minimize bleeding. And also, use your common sense about when to not use delayed cord clamping. So for example, if there's maternal hemodynamic or neonatal instability, then delayed cord clamping really shouldn't be done. If you need or plan to get umbilical cord gases, the studies are mixed here. A definitive study would be nice, so if you got some funding opportunities around you, start thinking about doing that. Now, Nick, I do remember in residency, we did do a lot of cord milking, and I feel like that was how I was trained as an intern, was to milk that cord. So should we still do that? Yeah, um, This is going to make it sound really old. (laughs) I know every day it's like you feel like I'm getting a little older um I cringe thinking about how many cords I probably milked back in the day um knowing what I know now but the bottom line is you really shouldn't do umbilical cord milking particularly for preterm infants um I mean theoretically it seems to make some sense right like we've already talked about there's this huge benefit of getting some extra blood to the baby And so maybe if that baby is just like, eh, I'm not super vigorous and I'd love to get it handed off to the pediatricians more quickly, maybe we can just milk that cord really fast, get that extra blood volume through, and then get the baby off, right? Um, But a recent study of infants who underwent delayed cord clamping versus milking of the cord at extreme prematurity defined in this study as 23 to 27 weeks actually had to be halted early due to increased risk of grade 3 grade 4 intraventricular hemorrhage in the group that underwent cord milking regrettably for this reason um no the trial obviously needed to be stopped um and then acog has subsequently come out with the recommendation that milking not be undertaken at least for infants under 28 weeks of gestation If you look at some older studies prior to this most recent one with infants at later gestational age, there does seem to be some benefit to increasing hemoglobin levels of milking, but overall the studies were mixed. And so ACOG, and I think I agree, interprets this as there's really no definitive evidence for milking at greater than 32 weeks. I'd say that based on the evidence that's been presented here, Faye, that no if you can do delayed cord clamping and it's really it's only 30 to 60 seconds of time and you're still doing stimulation and stuff, just do the delayed cord clamping. Don't risk the IVH with the milking. No, I agree. And like you said, <laughs> I kind of like shudder at the amount of cords that I've milked before. One last kind of caveat to can I screw it up or what other tip should I consider? Again, not something to encounter too, too commonly, but If a patient is really strongly desiring of umbilical cord blood banking, you should reconsider doing delayed cord clamping. Um, The success rate for cord blood banking is significantly decreased when there's a 60-second delay by doing that delayed cord clamping. So families who are considering doing banking should be made aware of the risk. It is arguable that delayed cord clamping may actually have more immediate and real benefits than the theoretical benefits of cord blood banking. And so that's a shared decision-making conversation you should have with patients if they are considering doing banking. All right, Faye, I think that gets us to the end of this podcast on delayed umbilical cord clamping. Let's try and summarize quickly. Sure. 
we started off by talking a little bit about delayed cord clamping and what it is. So, you know, studies have shown that 80 to about 100 cc's of blood is transferred from the placenta to the newborn within three minutes after birth. And there are modern studies now that show that 30 to 60 seconds of delay actually lead to benefit for both term and preterm infants, including things like improved hemoglobin levels, improved iron stores, which can then lead to potentially favorable neurodevelopmental outcomes. And specifically for preterm babies, delayed cord clamping can lead to reduced rates of IVH and neck and also lower the risk of transfusion. And so now, because of this, ACONC has recommended 30 to 60 seconds of delayed cord clamping for vigorous term and preterm infants. There are some potential concerns for harm that have been answered through scientific study, including the potential that delayed cord clamping delays resuscitation. And the thought here is actually sick preterm babies may actually benefit from the placental transfusion and improved gas exchange there. Could delayed cord clamping lead to polycythemia or jaundice? There's no real solid evidence of this in preterm or term infants, though in term infants there may be a slightly increased risk for need for phototherapy. And then finally, we talked about risks to mom too um, over all of this. And again, five trials, 2,200 women, no increased risk of hemorrhage, increased blood loss, difference in hemoglobin level, or risk of transfusion, even at the time of cesarean. And so you really should consider doing delayed cord clamping for all babies if they're vigorous at time of birth. Finally, we talked about a few tips because it seems so simple. Can you screw it up at all? Again, you should allow newborn care to proceed as usual. Again, dry, stimulate, skin-to-skin contacts, normothermia for the baby. Continue with the active management of third stage. Use your common sense on when or when not to perform delayed cord clamping, particularly if there's concern for maternal or neonatal stability. If you need or plan to get cord gases, studies are really mixed about whether cord gases are interpretable after delayed cord clamping, so if you've got the money to do a good study, please do it. Don't milk the cord, I think is the conclusion we came to there. And then if patients desiring of cord blood banking, they should reconsider or have a shared decision-making conversation to know the limitations of that in the context of delayed cord clamping. All right, so I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed the podcast today, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee, and if you want to give us some support, you can go to our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. Give us some love, we'll give you a shout out on the show or some swag. We have show notes for this episode and all of our previous episodes on our website, creogsovercoffee.com. And if you want to send us an email with some suggestions for other episodes or give us a correction for this episode or just to say hi, email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com.